First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, do you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1? Uh, today is the second week in our four-week series called Revolutions. And there really are two reasons why uh, we're calling this series Revolution. The first reason is because of what I said last week, and that is that a revolution is needed in the American church. It's too often in America today we have made the church all about us. It's about entertainment. It's about our comfort. It's about our convenience. We, we come to church maybe to be intrigued or to be inspired or to be challenged, but just a little bit, not too much, because we don't want to be made to feel uncomfortable because we really have come for the show. And if we come for the show, then if we ever stop liking the show, then we just find a, a better show somewhere else. We become spectators at church services. But what we read in the Bible is so different from that. What we read in the Bible is that Christians are not spectators at church, but rather Christians are the church. And as the church, we're called to get out of the bleachers and to go down onto the field and to get into the game. We're called to be participants in the mission of God in the world. And that mission starts right here where he has placed us. And, and here is the mission that God has given us. Jesus laid it out for us so clearly in Matthew 28. He said, go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the mission that Jesus has clearly given us, not just to grow as disciples ourselves. Of course, we are to do that, but he wants us to do more than that. He wants us to be actively involved in helping others to grow. And really that's all disciple making is. I know we throw that term around a lot and it can kind of be intimidating, but it's really a very simple thing. I love how Mark Dever defines discipling or disciple making. He says it's just simply helping others to follow Jesus. Helping others to follow Jesus. That's, that's it. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. And believe it or not, that is the revolution that is needed in the American church. It's a disciple-making revolution. It's a revolution where Jesus' followers simply do what Jesus told us to do. Where every disciple in the church understands that. That we're not spectators who are watching a show, but we're actively called to get involved and to help others around us follow Jesus. And in this series called Revolutions, we're laying out a simple four-week or four-part cycle over the next four weeks for how we can particularly and practically do that, how we can help others follow Jesus. And the cycle looks like this. We started last week in that top left corner talking about the need to share, how we're called to share with those who don't know Christ. We talked about how that begins with building relationships with the 200,000 people who live within 10 miles of this church who don't know Christ 
as Savior. We talked about how we need to share our love with them, how we need to share our lives with them, ultimately how we need to share the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ with them. And today we're moving to the the next stage of that cycle to the top right corner where it says connect. And and now we're assuming that, that God through his grace has worked in such a way that that person that you have shared your love with, you've shared your life with them, you've shared the gospel with them, that God has moved in their heart and that they have come to saving faith in Christ. And, and so today we're going to talk about how we come alongside that brand new believer and how we help them to connect. How we help them to connect to, to God, how we help them to connect to the church and connect to service. And, and then in the weeks to come, we're going to continue around that cycle. We're going to talk about how we can equip one another to grow in, in a relationship with Christ. And then finally, how we can be sent out on the unique mission and purpose that God has created us for. And, and once that has happened, once that believer goes out and begins to make disciples, that process, that revolution around the wheel takes place all over again. And that's the second reason why we're calling this series Revolutions, because it takes revolutions to have a revolution. If we want to see a disciple-making revolution take place, it's only going to happen as we see revolutions around this disciple-making cycle. It's only going to happen as you and me go out in the power of the Holy Spirit, as, as we share, as we connect, as we equip, as we send, and then those that we send do the same thing all over again. They share, and they connect, and they equip, and they send, and they send out others who share and connect and equip and send, and around and around it goes. And unless that happens, we won't see the revolution that we're praying to see both in our church and in our city and beyond. And so again, today we're talking about stage two of that cycle, connect. How can we help a new believer to connect and begin to grow? Let's read about it in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 22. We're going to read down to chapter 2, verse 5. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. The word of God says this, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Chapter 2. Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as to a living stone, Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Father, we pray now as we study your word, as we think about its truth, that you would take it 
Father, that you would apply it to our hearts through your Spirit's power, that you, Father, would change us and make us more like Christ even now. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, Peter wrote this short letter to believers who were experiencing persecution, and actually that persecution was about to get even worse in the years right after he penned this letter. And so here in the early part of this letter, he wants to remind them of what God has done in their life in the past, and he wants to give them some instructions on how they can grow in their faith. And of course, what he shares here is is pertinent to all of us. We all need to take this to heart, no matter how long we have walked with the Lord. But what he shares here is especially pertinent to those who are new Christians, new believers. And so as we walk through these verses, I want us to see four ways that, that we can help a new Christian follow Jesus. And the first way that we can help is we can help them understand what just happened to them. You know, uh, one of my good friends would always say after anything surprising happened or anything that was kind of crazy, he'd always just say, what just happened right there? What just happened? We'd always say that. And I think a lot of times a new believer is saying that same thing. What just happened? Because, you know, when you meet Jesus, it's a whole new world, isn't it? I mean, if you remember, no matter how long ago it was, that, that feeling, right, that to know that your sins are forgiven, To know that you're a part of the family of God, it changes everything. It's a whole new world. But for that new believer, oftentimes there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of questions about what that looks like, what that means, what they're supposed to do now. And in this passage, Peter wants to remind these believers about what has happened in their life when they got saved. And he uses a lot of different terminology to, to drive that point home. And and really he's commanding them here and he's calling them in verse 22 to love each other, to love each other with a fervent love, with a pure and sincere love. And he says the reason that you're able to do that is because of what God has done in your heart already. In verse 22 he says, since you've purified your souls in obeying the truth, I want you to love each other with a sincere love. When he he uses that phrase, obeying the truth, he's really talking about obeying the gospel. And he can say that because the gospel, the good news about Jesus, isn't just something that we either believe or don't believe. And it isn't just something that we either accept or reject. It's also something that we either obey or we disobey. Because in the word of God, God has commanded all of us to to repent, to turn from our sin, and to turn in true faith to Jesus. And we're either going to obey that or we're not going to obey that. And Peter is writing to people who have obeyed the gospel. And because they have, he says they've been purified, they've been cleansed before God. And then in the next verse, verse 23, he talks about how they were born again. Just like Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again if you want to see the kingdom of heaven. Here Peter is writing to people who have been born again. They've experienced that new birth in their life. And he says to them, you've been born again because this incorruptible seed, and he's talking about the seed of the word of God, has had such a powerful effect in your life that you have been changed forever. 
And then he quotes from Isaiah 40 here about how in contrast to how frail and, and, and how fleeting our lives are, that the word of God lasts forever and it's had such a powerful impact in their lives already. He's speaking about what has already taken place in their lives. And of course, any of us in this room who know Christ as their Savior, we need to pause every day. And we need to thank God for that salvation, the fact that he has worked in our life in that incredible, life-changing kind of way. But we also need to come alongside new believers. Help them to understand what has happened in their life, what God has done to save them forever. We also need to prepare them as well for the fact that the enemy is going to attack them. That there is an enemy who's going to come with doubts that Satan is going to say to them, oh, you know, you, you don't really think you're a Christian, do you? You don't really think that God would accept someone like you with everything that you have done in your past? Do you really think that you can be forgiven? Do you really think that you're going to be in heaven? And we need to prepare these new believers for the fact that those attacks and those doubts are going to come and to be ready for them. A verse that God uh, used in my life, especially in those first years of, of my walk with Jesus, was 1 John 5, verse 13, which says this, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Notice that verse does not say that I'm a Christian when I feel like I'm a Christian. That verse does not say that, that I need to just hope that I'm a Christian or feel that I'm a Christian. That verse says that if I've truly given my life to Jesus Christ, if I've truly believed in the name of the Son of God, that I can know that I have eternal life. And I think it's important for new believers to have that assurance of their salvation so they don't get stuck for years wondering whether or not they're saved, whether or not they're actually a Christian, because what God wants to see happen in their life, he wants to see them come to that place of assurance and begin to grow in their new walk with Jesus Christ. That The first way we can help a new believer is to help them understand what has happened in their life and how that changes everything for them, and it changes it forever. A second way that we can help is we can help them connect to God. Again, God is the one who has saved them. It's because of God and God alone that they have been born again. And, and just as it is for all of us, if they're going to grow uh, in their new walk with Christ, it's only going to happen as they connect with God more and more. If you've been blessed to walk with the Lord maybe a little bit longer than that new Christian has, then you can help them make that connection. You can help them understand that because they are new people, that there's going to be some new habits that they need to have in their life if they're going to grow. And of course, we could list a, a pretty long list of those new habits, but I'm just going to mention three. Three new habits, and the first one shows up in chapter 2, verse 1, and it's the habit of daily repentance. Daily repentance. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Peter says, Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. You know, in order to come to faith in Christ in the first place, you had to come not only with a heart of faith, but you had to come with a heart of repentance. 
a heart that was willing to say no to sin and to say yes to Jesus. To say, I don't want to live the way that I've been living anymore. I want to follow you, Lord Jesus. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want to do life your way and not my way. But the truth is, that isn't just a one-time thing. Now, that's a decision that we need to practice every day. To practice daily repentance. Because every day that we follow Christ, he reveals more and more things in our lives that don't look like Jesus, and he calls us to lay them aside. Here in verse 1, Peter mentions just a few of those things. This isn't an exhaustive list. It's just a sampling of some of the things that we need to lay aside, like an old coat that we take off and we throw in the garbage because it does not belong on the shoulders of someone who is born again. And part of discipling a new believer is helping them to come to terms with things in their life that need to be laid aside now that Jesus is on the throne of their life. And of course, that change doesn't happen all at once. They're not going to turn into Billy Graham overnight. You and I haven't turned into Billy Graham, and we may have walked with Jesus a lot longer than they have. But, but the Lord, little by little, reveals things to us. Mercifully, he reveals them little by little and doesn't tell us everything in our life that's wrong at the very beginning. And, and so listen, we need to be patient with the weaknesses and the stumblings of that new believer to understand that the Lord is working just as he has in our life, little by little in their life as well. And very often, you know what, you don't even need to say anything because God will, by his Holy Spirit, will use his word to begin to reveal some things in their life that they know need to change. And sometimes they'll even say that to you. You know, I'm probably not supposed to do that anymore, am I? And you have the opportunity to say, well, No, you're not. And here's why. Here's what it says in the word of God. Here's how your life is different now because of Jesus. Now, of course, there will be times when the Lord leads you to bring a word of correction, to to warn a new believer about something in their life that will harm them. But when we do that, we do that in love. We do that with the right heart, understanding that we have not been perfected yet either. But daily repentance is so important. We need to help that believer to understand they haven't been perfected yet. They're still going to stumble. They're still going to fall. But every day, what do we do with that conviction of sin? When the Spirit tells us that there are things in our life that don't look like Jesus, we take those things and we take them to the Lord in prayer. And we confess them. And we receive his forgiveness. And we allow him to work in our life in such a way that every day, little by little, he makes us more like Jesus. The next habit is really how that growth takes place. It's the habit of daily Bible reading. In in verses 2 and 3, Peter talks about that. He says, as newborn babes desire, desire, crave the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And so the the main command here is to crave, to yearn for the word of God. But in verse 3, he explains why we should want more of the word of God. He's alluding to Psalm 34, 8, where it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And what he says in verse 3 is, if you've done that, if you tasted at the moment of your salvation that the Lord is good, then you know what? You're going to want more of that. You know, one of my favorite desserts is uh, root beer float. 
I could have a root beer float any time of the day or night. It's the perfect dessert. And I'll tell you what, the first time that I had a root beer float, the first time that that sweet nectar from the Lord touched my lips, I knew that it was going to be a lifelong love affair with that root beer float. I just had to have more of it. And church, infinitely more, that should be true with the Lord. When you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, then you want to have more of the Lord. You want to have more of his word. You want to hear more of his plan for your life. You want to get to know him more intimately. You hunger and thirst for more of the Lord, and that drives you to his word. And that's why we can say with Jeremiah, your words were found, and I ate them, and they became to me the joy, the rejoicing of my heart. Here in verse 2, Peter compares that desire to the Lord to, to a craving that a newborn baby has for milk. Now, he's, he's not saying here that every person reading this letter was a newborn baby or was a brand new Christian. That's not what he's saying here. But what he's saying here is that all of us should be like a newborn baby in this respect, that all of us as believers should crave the milk of the word of God the same way that a newborn baby longs for milk, that we should desire that. And you know what? If that person that you're discipling is an authentic, genuine believer in Jesus, they're going to have that hunger from the word of God. God's spirit is going to place that hunger and that thirst within them. So here's where you come in, though. Oftentimes, they don't know where to start. The Bible's a big book. Where do I begin? And so you can come alongside, and you can help them to channel that hunger and that thirst. You can help them to find a a translation of the Bible that they can understand. You can help them to know where to start. You can help them with some good questions to ask as they read. You can show them where to go when they have questions. You can remind them that every day when they're reading the Bible, that they're not just meeting with a book, but that they're meeting with a person. That they're meeting with a God of the universe who has inspired his word. And every day when we open his word, that you have an appointment with a God of the universe who wants to meet with you, who wants to speak to you. And you can help that new believer establish a life-changing habit in their life of reading the word of God every day. And then a third habit, it doesn't show up specifically in our text here, but of course it's all over the New Testament, is the habit of daily prayer. Daily prayer, just as the Lord Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Luke chapter 11, all of us need to be taught how to pray. We need to be taught that we don't need to try to impress God with with flowery, churchy language. We just need to talk to him. We just need to tell him what is on our heart. And, And so model that for the person that you are discipling. Pray with them. Pray for them. Teach them. That for the Christian, prayer happens both at at set-aside times of the day, but also throughout the day as we pray without ceasing, as we're always in a spirit of prayer before the Lord. Teach them about how God answers prayer, how he's answered prayer in your own life, and teach them how God changes your heart when you kneel before him in prayer. Teach them and show them the daily habit of prayer. That's all a part of helping a new believer to connect to God. But as important as it is to help that new believer connect to God, it's also important to help them connect to the church, to the people of God. 
That's one of the most important things we can do in the life of a new believer. And in verse 4 and 5, Peter gives a beautiful picture of what the church family really is. Look, look at verse 4. He says, coming to him, coming to Jesus, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Jesus is called a living stone here. He's using language that reminds us of Psalm 118, where Jesus is a stone that has been rejected by the builders, but God has made him the chief cornerstone of everything that he is building through his death and through his resurrection. And then verse 5 tells us that what God is building is the church. He says, you also as living stones are being built up to a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So because the Lord Jesus is a living stone, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, who have died with him, been buried with him, have been resurrected with him, now it calls us living stones as well. And it says that God is taking us one by one as living stones and he is fitting us into the building that he is building. I love how one person put it. It said, every time someone is saved, the Lord takes another rock from the quarry and he uses his cement and he puts it in place. He fits it in place to the spiritual house that he is building. And that house is the church. And so for all of us, old and new believers alike, what God has done in our lives means that we're now a part of his house, his family, his church. Here's how Paul put it in Ephesians chapter 2. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You know, part of helping a new believer is to help them to understand that, that they aren't somewhere out on their own trying to live the Christian life, that they're not lone rangers, that they're not on an island, but that God has saved them and saved us into a family. God has made us a part of the universal church, the church that he's building all over the world. But he's also made us a part of his local church where he wants us to grow together, to worship together, to serve together. And so let's teach them that. Let's tell them how important the church has been in our own spiritual growth in our Christian walk. Let's, let's model for them how important the church is in our life and in our family. Because you know what? For that new believer... Even just attending worship on Sunday mornings may be a brand new habit in their life. All the years of their life up until that time, Sunday morning might have been for sleeping in or for shopping or for getting chores knocked out or whatever the case may be. This is a new habit in their life. Teach them how important that habit is. Teach them how we're not to neglect assembling together because when we assemble together, Hebrews 10 says we spur each other on to love and good works. And you know, this, this place, this church family, it can be a place that for a new believer is kind of intimidating. It can be a place where they, they, even when they come, they feel like they're still kind of on the outside looking in, that they're kind of late to a party, and everybody already has relationships, and I'm kind of on the outside, and, and that's where we all come in, helping someone to feel they're a part of a loving family. You know, one simple way you can do that with someone who is their first time here, and now what we're doing is when folks come in outside our church, we're giving them a 
bright red bag to hold the rest of the time they're here. But what does that mean if you see somebody holding that red bag? It's their first time here, right? So you don't have to wonder about that. You know, maybe they go to another service. You don't have to worry about offending them. You can just say, hey, I see it's your first time here. And you can reach out to them, and you can love them, and you can help them to feel a part. You'll never know how important that is to have someone reach out. Again, if it's a new believer, introduce them to your brothers and your sisters in this church. Invite them to your small group. Check on them when they're not here. Things like that make a huge difference because you know what? In the long run, there will be few things as important as the church itself to help that new believer grow in their walk with Jesus. Because by God's design, the church is the context where discipleship happens best. We don't have long to spend here, but one last area I'll mention where we can help a new believer grow is if we'll help them connect to service. In verse 5, Peter not only compares believers to living stones in the spiritual house, but he also compares us to priests working in the temple. Look at verse 5. He says, you also as living stones are being built up to a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. According to this verse and according to verse 9, a few verses later, every believer is a priest. Every believer has been set aside by God for a special spiritual work. Verse 5 says that all of us are called to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. Now what are those spiritual sacrifices? Well, verse 9 says one of those spiritual sacrifices is to proclaim to the rest of the world the praises of the one who called you out of the dark and brought you into the light. That's one of the spiritual sacrifices that we're supposed to spend our life doing. But I don't think this text limits spiritual sacrifice just to that. I really think that spiritual sacrifice means everything that we do. It means everything that a believer filled with the Spirit of God does for the rest of their life. That everything we do is a sacrifice of worship that's offered up to the Lord. And one of the things that a new believer needs to learn very quickly is that God has uniquely gifted them to serve. In fact, just a few chapters later in 1 Peter 4, Peter wrote this, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. It was common for a new Christian to feel like they can't be used yet. You know, to say something, well, I haven't been a Christian long enough yet. I can't do that. I'm just supposed to come. I'm supposed to, to, to sit here and, and, and to hang out. But if you've been a Christian for any length of time at all, then you know that one of the best ways, one of the main ways that we grow in our walk with Jesus is by serving. And so if we put off serving until we've been a Christian for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, then, then we're really stunting our own spiritual growth because one of the ways we grow is by serving. Now listen, of course, there are some things in the church that are reserved for those who have walked with the Lord Jesus a little bit longer. The Bible actually warns us against elevating a brand new Christian to the role of a pastor. It tells us that if we do that, we might cause spiritual harm to that individual. Also, of course, we're slow about elevating someone to a a Bible study position where they're spiritually responsible for 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 other believers. We wait on that until there's been some time for some maturity to take place. But you know what? Other than those things, there are so many opportunities for a brand new Christian to begin serving. 
And oftentimes all they need is a little bit of encouragement from a discipler to say, you know what, God can use you in incredible ways to help them connect, to help them begin to serve. We talked about some of the ways today that we can help a new believer connect. Connect to God, connect to the church, the family of God, connect to, to service, and every believer needs someone to walk alongside them to help them with those first few steps as a Christian. The question is, who is the Lord laying on your heart? None of us in this room can disciple the whole church. Right? None of us can disciple everyone, but every one of us can disciple someone. And so here's the question. What one person in our church is God calling you to help follow Jesus this year? Think about that for just a moment. What one person in our church is God calling you to help follow Jesus this year? If he lays a name on your heart, go ahead and write that name down. Maybe that person is a new believer, and many of the things we talked about today you're going to be able to immediately put into practice. Maybe that person that God lays on your heart is someone who has been a Christian for a length of time, and if that's the case, next time in this series we're going to talk more about what you can do to help equip that believer, to help them to grow. Maybe you've been listening today and you've been thinking the whole time, you know, you've been talking about how to help new believers, but, but I am a new believer. I mean, I got, I got saved like a month ago. Or maybe I got saved a few years ago, but nobody has done what you're talking about. Nobody has come alongside me and, and helped me to take those first few steps to grow. What can I do? Well, you can look for some opportunities, some classes coming up to specifically designed to help you to grow as a new believer. But even better, pray and ask the Lord for another believer in this church that you can just come on and just ask. Just ask him, hey, would you disciple me? Would you just come alongside me and just spend some time with me and help me to grow? And you'll never know how God might use that relationship to help you take some big steps forward in your walk with the Lord. Just a moment ago, we talked in verse 5 about how we are to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. But you know, the only reason, the only way that it's possible for us to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God is because Jesus has offered up a sacrifice that was acceptable to God on our behalf. At the cross, Jesus sacrificed his very life and paid for our sin. And without that sacrifice, we couldn't grow in him. Without that sacrifice, we couldn't even know him. Without that sacrifice, we wouldn't belong to him. And so everything that we have talked about today is because of the spiritual sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us at the cross. And in this meal that is laid before us that we call the Lord's Supper, we take time as a church to remember and to celebrate the sacrifice of Christ at the cross. I want to ask our deacons to come as they prepare to lead us in the Lord's Supper. First Baptist Melbourne Podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God.